Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and back on the show for a long overdue referendum on Rockets GM. Rafael Stone is one of the Rockets wise Yodas in social media. It's Salman Ali from Red Nation Hoops. It's always great to catch up with you, Salman. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on, Robert. Man, we're just two months away from the offseason. It's it's moved pretty fast. And once Udoka was hired this past offseason, we knew the Rafael Stone issue might come to a forefront. The axe could fall if this team didn't look like it had a real direction. And Salman Udoka acted as though he really wanted a win-now move at the deadline. It was shocking. Stone only made a deal for next year with Steven Adams. I'm kind of wondering how that conversation went about. But that came on the heels of Stone botching the Brooke Lopez free agent situation over the summer, which led to the Landell disaster. And of course, the Kevin Porter mess was a whole other thing right before the season. So where are you right now on Rafael Stone? Yeah, it's interesting that you asked me to come on the show because I actually have uh, a report card for Rafael Stone uh, coming out tomorrow for RadioSnoops.com. Uh, and I graded his entire tenure. There are obviously ups and downs with him. But what I, where I ended up is like I kind of think he's worthy of a modest extension. Uh, I, I think he's done a good job with this team. And I, I think a lot of people, they focus on individual moves here and there, right? Obviously, the Jay, no one's happy about the Jalen Green selection, right? The Rockets messed that up. I think if you ask them right now, if, if they were to do that again, they would, they'd be honest about it and say, we would go in a different direction at number two. Obviously, the Brook Lopez pursuit was Ill, ill-suited. I think if you ask the Rockets about that, I think they would tell you that too. The Kevin Porter Jr. thing, they should have cut bait a long time ago. But here's the thing. If you look at where the Rockets are now compared to when Rafael Stone got the job, they're objectively in a much improved position. Get anyone from a time machine from the year 2020 after Daryl Morey steps down and bring them back to today. Rockets have Amen Thompson, Jabari Smith Jr., Alperin Shangoon, Tari Eason, and a really nice uh, core of young of, of veteran talent around those guys. Any fan would be happy about the progress they've made in three years. And they still have assets remaining from the Brooklyn trade. So I, I've... I'm generally fine with his job performance. I, I wouldn't say he's one of the best executives in, in basketball, right? I'm not. I wouldn't go that far. But I mean, can he can he get there? Maybe. I mean, he's. I thought I actually liked what they did at the deadline with Steve Adams. I did not want them to make a hasty move. Like I, I, I wanted them to be smart about their assets, and that's what they did. They didn't do something that could potentially restrict them from a future trade. And what I mean by that is that let's just say they they traded their Brooklyn first and they went out and they got a real player, right? Someone who could help them this year, maybe locked into a long-term multi-year contract. That's cool, but wouldn't you rather have that Brooklyn pick to use in a trade for a star versus a temporary bump you'd get from a, a player that you might acquire at the deadline? I didn't like what was out there at the deadline. I was not a big Mikel Bridges guy. I was not someone who thought the Rockets should trade the farm for him. And frankly, I was alarmed by the idea potentially offering uh, all their Brooklyn picks back for Mikael Bridges. Now, I don't know if that was the offer. Let's be clear about that. I think no one's ever been able to come out and confirm what exactly they offered. But if indeed they offered all their uh, assets back, I would not have been a fan of that move. Now, I'm glad they didn't do that trade. I would very much like some fine reporting on what that final offer was. Uh, I suspect it never got to the point of being a final offer. I suspect it got to the point of just, hey, can we talk about this? We'd be willing to discuss the Brooklyn picks, and that we never, they, the Brooklyn Nets were not willing to get to the negotiation phase because they were so attached to Mikel Bridges. I think that's going to end up being a good thing for the Rockets. I like the Stephen Adams acquisition versus someone that would, you know, really uh, take up significant playing time from us and any of these young guys this year. You know, there's already guys that are trying their hardest to get in the rotation or like hang on to the rotation, right? If you went out and acquired like a really strong wing 
that took away from Cam Whitmore's minutes, I think the fan base would be happy, unhappy. I think if you went out and acquired like a really, like if you acquired like a Clint Capella type, I think the fan base would be unhappy what happens with Alperen Shengun. I didn't like this idea of going out and getting like a fringe starter like that. The best move for them at the deadline was always to stand pat. And again, you step back and you look at where the Rockets are now versus where, where, where they were when Rafael Stone took the job, depleted of assets, stuck with this Westbrook contract that looked impossible to move. It's hard not to be like, okay, he's done a pretty damn good job. Yeah, I want to unravel a bunch of stuff of what you said, but let's just start with the idea of you did want to make something major at the deadline, but didn't they at least need to get some minor pieces in? Because the big argument from a lot of fans is, hey, you need to get guys around Shangoon, around Amen Thompson, around some of these young players that give you a better idea of where they're at and that complement them better. Like a lot of people want to see more shooting around Shangun to compliment him, to see exactly where he's at and where some of these other guys are at, or they want to see a big. You're well, where was that to- shooting going to come from? Like, like what shooter at the deadline was, you know, switch teams. Well, Buddy Heel, really- Doug McDermott, those are a couple of names that switch teams at the deadline. So they, right, they, they were definitely available and they were, and they were available you, you, for cheap second round picks. Basically you, you could have got, yeah. So Buddy Heald expires after the season. So you were willing to give up three seconds, which is what they ended up giving up for Steve Adams for a player that wasn't going to play for you next year. Could have walked it for agency. I don't like that. I don't like that. Like, I, 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 it doesn't make sense. It's so short-sighted because at, at what point are you not trying to build for the seasons coming up versus this year? This year is just like, okay, I understand you're in phase two and you want to take a step forward. They've taken a step forward. How much farther did you want to go? Like, is it really like play in or bust? I, I don't like that idea. Like, okay, if they don't miss, if they don't make the play in tournament this season, are we going to really say that they didn't take a step forward this year? Are we really that short-sighted? Are we really that like, you know, simple about doing the Rockets objectives this season? I don't think it had to be like that. And it seems like ownership was willing to play a conservative deadline, which I commend them for. I didn't like them trying to go out and rush and go get win now players. Yeah. It's unfortunate because the second round picks that you had to throw away because of the botch Brooke Lopez trade, because you basically had to get these guys off your roster. And that's a whole other situation where you drafted three guys that you literally within a couple of years, you, you basically gave, you not just gave away, you had to give picks, second round picks, you know, the, the Ty Ty Washington's, the Garubas, um, those guys, Josh Christopher, those are guys that to a couple of years into you having them, Solomon, you literally gave picks to get rid of them. You know, th- that's something that's concerning. The Brooke Lopez, the botched handling of that situation of, of not confirming and, and screwing that up, which leads to the Landell situation. That's This is some of the stuff that you can say, oh, he's not a terrible GM because, you know, he's gotten some of the other draft picks right, or at least we think he's got them right. But at the same time, is he, a, is he going to be a great GM? Is he going to be the GM that leads you to the championship? That's that's the question I think you have to ask. Not, is he a bad GM, but is he just mediocre at this point, at best? Other than the Sam Prestes, the Maury's, and the Angels, like, I'm, try- I'm struggling to see a general manager that is that much better than him. You're going to go out and go higher if you let go of him. Like, first of all, let's, let's go back to that Brook Lopez trade, right? Because I agree with you. I don't like the fact that they really that they wanted Brooke Lopez that badly. I hated that that they that they felt the need to go out and go get a starter to put over Shengun. That that's my biggest disagreement. Like the trade that they made, right? Let's look at the draft picks that that they gave away: Josh Christopher, Usman Garuba, Ty Ty Washington. Josh Christopher is struggling to find his next team. 
No, Al- all, of, Uzma, I agree, all of those guys are. All of those yeah, guys yeah. are. It wasn't the fact that you gave them up. It's the fact that you drafted three guys that you literally had to give up. You drafted them to begin with, and they're so bad that they can't even make a roster at this point. They're three outside of a t- the 20s. Yeah, but I mean, you always, you see teams around the NBA always find guys around the 20s that are at least could be role players, or at least you could still be grooming two two years Ale- after you drafted them. A year. Alexei Pokashevsky just got waived. He was the 18th pick by the Thunder. We're talking about Presti here, who, who flubbed an 18th overall pick. Like yeah. these, these first rounders are not guaranteed. Yeah, no, like, I, yeah, but that's one guy as opposed to you have three in the last couple of years. They've just waived like three guys this summer too. The, the Thunder have been missing pick on guys too. They just had so many first rounders that you don't notice the, the misses. Every team misses in the first round. And the one, the, the miss that may hurt you the most is number two, the Jalen Green one, right? That right there, there's no, there's no, you know, making that look better. Right, that's just a flat-out miss. It's a mark on the resume. But picks in the twenties, those are those are, they're not complete crapshoots. Like second-round picks are complete crapshoots, but they're close to it. Right, you're trying to get at that point. You're hoping to get a player that will stick around past their first contract. It's not that much of a surprise that they missed on all three of those guys. I think the one that hurts you the most is like, okay, I I think Usman Gruba. There was a case to draft him even higher than where he actually went. Right, when you look at how good he, of a prospect he was, the one I disagreed with at the time, and I and I think it looks like they probably should have went elsewhere was the Josh Christopher one because Quentin Grimes is right there for you, right, in the late 20s. But other than that, I mean, that's that's one role player, right? It's one solid role player that you missed out on in the late 20s. And Christopher was on, let's be clear, by most draft experts, he was not a first-round pick, right? right? He, he, was, he was like early 30s, right? That's where he was mocked, uh, I think, by most mocks. Usman Garuba was like top 20. Ty Ty Washington, same thing, right? Like, there was a real... It's hard to fault the Rockets when, like, universally these are, like, widely respected prospects that just fell. I don't have a problem with Houston, like, just going out and trying to get guys that have, have that kind of upside. And if they miss, they miss. Like, again, they've hit so tremendously well in the middle of the draft. Alperin Shangun was a home run. Cam Whitmore, don't understand how he fell. Tar Eason, I kind of disagreed with that pick at the time. I thought there were guys I would have went for other than him. But, like, he looks like a home run, too. They've hit so well. In the middle of the draft, Javari Smith Jr. looks like looks like it was the right call at number three. Amen Thompson at number four. I mean, it looks pretty strong to me. I mean, if you when you look at the main stuff, other than the Jalen Green one, the Jalen Green one again, legitimate grievance. If you have a problem with that pick, I get it. The other ones, I mean, they're doing pretty damn good. And I don't have an issue with the Jalen because I thought he looked like he could be one of those guys. But I guess my concern I, that the the one thing that he he has nailed is these picks you know, that we see on the roster outside of Jalen, of course. And that's not my issue with him. My issue is just a lot of the little things that have gotten screwed up. And the Brooke Lopez thing, I don't think was a little thing. And, you know, you didn't like you didn't like them going after Brooke Lopez. I didn't have an issue with that. I just had an issue with well, you not understanding what was going on in that situation and you not locking it down. And then you basically have to give up all of these things. And then there's this panic move of signing Jock Landell, who you know, had a few good games in the playoffs, I thought, and I just didn't think it's it was worth putting that much into into him, even though I know his contract works as a tradable contract, but also it helps when, to, when you're looking for a tradable contract to have somebody that another team at least can find useful or something like that. You know, he's not somebody that's even useful on somebody's roster. And then the Kevin Porter thing, if there's an argument, the Kevin Porter thing is probably the biggest thing, Salman. I mean, there's, there's no sugarcoating the fact, you tell me, there's no sugarcoating the fact that they really had so much invested in him too much and they were putting too much into the Kevin Porter pie 
with the, with the history and all the other stuff going on with him. I mean, I just thought, I think that was something that they badly miscalculated what he was as a human being. And they badly miscalculated the type of player that he was. Well, so there's two things, right? Like, I think I agree with the, I still to this day will defend the idea of those types of trades, right? Yeah, but the, the, the trade to begin right, with was fine. Right, right, right. So like, I mean, that's part of it though, right? Like you, you trade for him, you trade nothing for him, right? Right. And he becomes a real asset for you up until the moment he's not. The problem I have is once you know that there's there's really not much progress going on that front, they should have cut bait a little bit earlier. They gave the guy too much rope. And I think it cost them when you look at they they gave him that extension and they they crafted their financials with the idea of him being on their books, even though they knew there was a real possibility that he could have done something, maybe not to this degree. Like it's hard to predict alleged assault, right? I mean, I, I, I'm saying I'm using the word alleged only because he didn't get convicted. I'm not. But but he I, had he had a right. history of right, right. off the court issues that right. were right. severe. Right. Right. What I'm saying is, even if it wasn't this, it could have been something else. So the, the fact that they've crafted so much of their financials around him. Was con- was a miss. I mean, this was have a done bad it. contract too. Let's well, put, no, put that well, out there. I think that, that was a bad not, contract. That's not. It was. There was a lot of non guarantees there, buddy. Like there was a lot of like the trigger dates. They could have basically cut bait with the guy at any point. Yeah, and I just it was, think it was made it so easy to try. I, I don't think though that the money that they paid him to begin with was something that you were going to fight. There, he was looked at as poison by a lot of other teams. He had left a game at halftime. Like he had a lot of issues that teams did not want to spend money on a guy like I don't think there was this rush to like we're going to go out and sign Kevin Porter away from the Rockets I just don't I and 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 I didn't think it was worth having any guarantee from year to year on Kevin Porter they still had money tied into him um, one million in guarantees not a lot though yeah it's really well, it's really not like I mean it, it really it's really a nothing burger in terms of how much money they guarantee to him the thing with the KPJ thing is they really decided this summer that they wanted to be a mid-level exception team going into next summer right and they did that with kevin porter jr in mind as like okay he's gonna be he's definitely gonna be here let's just go ahead and trade some of these like let's go let's go trade the josh christopher let's go trade the usman Garuba. let's go trade the ty ty washington even though you could probably ended up you could have ended up you know actually needing those contracts on their on the books if you were going to waive kpj right to become a mid-level exception team you could have just waived him uh, if, if you had kept those guys but because they had in their mind crafted the idea of kevin porter jr is going to be on our books they decided to trade those guys. They were left in a position where they had to trade again during the regular season to go get like someone like Steven Adams so they can be a mid-level exception team this summer. I don't have I didn't have a problem with the contract. Again, my problem is the fact that they, they just gave the guy too much rope. And you could see there was reporting coming out as soon as he was traded that there were opportunities to really let this guy go before. And that's probably my biggest issue is they let him, they, not only off the court, on the court, I thought they gave him too much rope, but... On the whole, he ended up costing Houston five second round picks, right? And that sucks, right? That, that's that stings. That's a real, like that's those are real assets that you just let go because of the mistake you made with him. You also got second rounders, basically out of nothing, and Garrison Matthews and Bruno Fernando, right? You also got second rounders out of nothing for taking back money with Oklahoma City Thunder last year in that trade they made before the season, right? Like they did a good job during the course of their rebuild, just acquiring second rounders and assets out of nothing again you never want to just throw away second rounders but i don't like i think they did a good job of protecting themselves to the point where they felt comfortable burning these second rounders again i'm not saying he's at all managed all of these assets perfectly and you look at the trade that they made for eric gordon where it looked like they were basically going to have to trade eric gordon for like two second rounders and instead they upgraded a 30th pick to the 20th pick and ended up taking uh cam whitmore like that's like that's the kind of deal making that that 
exudes confidence in the lead decision maker, right? Like, because who could have saw that coming? But I'm sure the Rockets didn't see it coming either. They just wanted to put themselves in position for those kinds of high upside players falling. And that, that's what happened. Yeah, and I was about to say the, the tie-in with Kevin Porter is that takes me back to what happened last year. And there's no bigger issue that I have what happened last year. The fact that Steven Silas was still there when it was obvious after two years of Steven Silas that he wasn't the guy. And where it really killed you is being able to evaluate Jalen Green more conclusively after year two and kind of wasting a year in Jalen Green and maybe as well wasting a year of Jabari Smith and the development of guys like those two guys, Shangoon as well. I mean, all of those guys, it really hurt development to see where you were with them. And it might not seem like a big deal because you have four years, but four years goes fast and you've got to figure out where you are as an organization with those young guys, who you're going to, who, who, who you need to trade, you know, where to cut bait and all of that sort of stuff. And also, you know, Jalen Green, even if you look at him with another coach last year and you go, okay, he's not the guy we want, or it doesn't look like he's going to where we want him to go to. He would have looked like a better player going into year three. And so, you know, with a better coach, he would have and a better system he would have. And then maybe at that point you go, okay, we have a better idea and we can trade him earlier and maybe get something for him. It's you, that, that whole wasted year, I felt like in year two was a big deal because we look at the kind of coaching that Oklahoma city had over the last few years with their young coach in Dagnall. You look at what's happened with Taylor Jenkins in Memphis and how good a job he did with the, with young teams and how they've done at developing. And you just, you compare the Rockets to how Memphis has done things over the last few years and how Oklahoma City has. And it's just, there's a there's a large, large gap there, a large gap. I don't want to be in the position of having to defend Steven Silas. I I, I, I was not, like, <laughs> I, I was out on Steven Silas pretty early and, and people got mad at me for that because Steven Silas could do no wrong in that first year. And I was just watching him make a lot of mistakes and people got upset that I was calling them out. But it, it just is what it is. But at the same time, you pointed out Oklahoma City and Memphis, you know, the two, the two big difference, the, the big difference there between those organizations and what the Rockets were last year, superstars, right? Yeah. The, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder had Shea Gilgis Alexander. The Memphis Grizzlies had Ja Morant, right? The Rockets haven't had that guy. I don't know if I can blame that all on Steven Silas. What I can blame on Steven Silas is... There were the weird hierarchies that he had with the, that he placed within the team, right? Like that Kevin Porter Jr. could seemingly do no wrong on the basketball court and get, was given free reign to do whatever. Jalen Green was right there behind him, right? And Shangun was on was kind of in the corner, like a, like a, like a dog. Like he, if he did anything out of line, he was getting yanked to the bench. So that that was what was strange. The talent evaluation of Stephen Silas and the way they structured uh, their sub, their substitution patterns were god awful last year under Steven Salas. Uh, that those are some of the things that I had an issue, I had an issue with. And, and and you've heard the rumblings, obviously, when you talk about that particular thought. You've heard the rumblings that it wasn't just Steven Silas. There was a thought that Rafael Stone was not big on Shangun, which you identified. A lot of us identified as like this guy really has potential. And on the other hand, it was Silas that was either being forced to, or he was really high on Kevin Porter and what was going on with that. And they were given, you know, Porter and Green were just given the run of the place, whereas Shangun had the short leash. And we were hearing a lot that it was, Stone was a lot of that decision-making. Yeah, my thing with with head coaching is I, I don't like giving coaches that out, right? Like at the end of the day, your your, your decisions are your decisions, right? Even if you, if you don't, if you feel like you're being told to do something by management, walk away. I don't like giving coaches that that out. Right, like, it's because I just feel like it, it gives them the, the out to say any bad decision that they made. 
Oh, it wasn't actually my fault. I was given, I was being told this by, by ownership, by management, whatever. I, I could never get there. Right. But as far as like the Steven Silas hire and how long they kept him, I think that's a legitimate criticism. Uh, Robert, I'm with you there. Honestly, after year two, I was kind of out. Right. I, I don't, I don't think year three should have happened, but it did. And they decided they wanted to give it another run before his, his, his the team option on his contract came up. You can't really turn back time at this, but yeah, it was, it was a missed hire. That wasn't the best hire, but they did recover. They did do well to recover with Ime Udoka. Making the right decision late is better than not making the right decision, right? Like if there was, a, there's also another universe where they just pick up the team option and have him coach this fourth year, no. which I mean, I mean, but that could have happened, right? Well, I don't think it could have happened. And, and he would have kept, I don't think Stone keeps his job if Tillman Fertitta actually watches the games. And I, I, I've heard from multiple people that Tillman was not happy with what was going on last year. And he was getting very, very frustrated with all that. Also, like just the Dylan Brooks signing. Do you think that Stone did a good enough job negotiating the right price for Dylan Brooks? Because we never heard, heard who they were bidding against. And the number is a number that everybody was shocked at when it was all said and done. What did you think about that? Yeah, I defended the Dylan Brooks contract at the time. I, got, I, I was actually not like in the moment. I didn't I really didn't have a problem with it. Uh, I think Dylan Brooks is a good player. He's a, he's a starting caliber small forward. Those guys get make a lot of money. Uh, he's one of the best wing defenders in basketball. I think when when he's taking the right shots, we we see now that he's a decent three point shooter. A lot of what Dylan Brooks was doing wrong uh, as a basketball player was easy to rein in with the shot diet and a good and the, the right coach. And Ime Doka was the right coach for him. Uh, and the Ray, shot diet has improved this year, early in the but, year, but in the last few weeks, we're starting to see the shot diet go bad. But the point being, you could go out and get get signed Dylan Brooks, right? No no problem with going out and signing a Dylan Brooks. But who are you bidding against when you're paying him over a mid-level and you're paying him four years out? I mean, who is going to offer him anything close to four years, 80 plus million dollars? What what were you doing bidding bidding against? I mean, I understand you, you might have to be a little bit better than everybody else because of where the team was. But we never even heard one NC other team that was involved in this. No, D Dallas was. But let me, let me just back up. That's not always how this works. Who are you bidding against? I heard that a lot during the Dylan Brooks saga. You're not always bidding against a team, right? Like in that situation, Dylan Brooks and his agent had to wait, right? Like wait a very long time and watch offers dry up around the NBA while Houston was trying to lock down Brooke Lopez. And what I suspect happened is ingratitude for them waiting or like, I'm, I'm maybe not ingratitude, but like beforehand, before they did that wait, they were guaranteed like, hey, if this doesn't work out, I'm getting what Brooks giving up. Maybe not all of it, but I'm getting some of that pie. Right, because you're making me wait for all these mid-level exceptions drying up around the league. Because those guys, those mid-level exceptions were popping, right? They're getting off the board left and right. That, that was his asking price, about fifteen million dollars a year. The mid-level exception. Here was Dylan Brooks having to wait, wait on Houston and Brook Lopez, and that's kind of what I suspect ended up happening. And even so, forget the market for a second. Let's look at what he got. It's about fifteen percent of the cap. Fifteen percent of the cap is nothing. That's what Trevor Reza was getting in Houston. Right. Yeah. Like, like we need to really stop looking at that annual figure when we, when you evaluate contracts, because really it's not telling you much in an exploding environment. The numbers aren't going to be, aren't going to look the same when the cap goes up 10% every year. Yeah. Now that's what I said over the summer, but I'm just bringing it up because you know, that's a lot of the criticism with Rafael Stone is like that, that particular contract, people weren't happy about it. And I think People I around no the with it. I think it wasn't just, you know, Houston Rockets fans. I heard I heard the same criticism from people, national media, people around the league, stuff like that. The other thing that I feel like he gets a little bit 
he, he gets a little bit of garbage from people for, for the fact that the Rockets, you know, are not a good shooting team. But I, I want to point something out to you, Salman, and I'm sure this is something that you've looked at. But look, the Rockets went out and got Dylan Brooks, Fred Van Vliet, Aaron Holiday, and Reggie Bullock last summer. Four of the five best Rockets three-point shooters, shooters on the team right now were added last summer. They're all shooting better than league average. Bullock and Holiday, last I checked, were at 41%. Dylan Brooks, who's taken a major leap this year, and you hope he can continue it, but that's something that you know he still gets credit for in his ledger stone does. He's at 40%. It's like a you know, 5%, I think, more than his career average. Fred Van Vliet is at 37.6%. And Cam Whitmore, throw him in because he was added this summer, 38.4%. So, you know, Jabari's shooting better. Yeah, and Jabari's shooting better as well. But, you know, that was the criticism. And I'll just point out, you know, like everybody's like, oh, the Rockets can't shoot. Well, it really comes down to a couple of guys. One of them is Shangoon, who is not shooting a whole lot. So it shouldn't matter a bunch. And he's the guy that you need shooters around for anyway. But the other guy is Jalen Green, who last I checked was shooting about 30.7%, close to 31, between 30 and 31%. Jalen Green, if you take Jalen Green, Salman, if you take his shots off the roster, just basically eliminate all of his three-point shots, all of his three-point makes, you just take it out. The Rockets are shooting 1% better from three-point range this year. Now you go, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Well, it moves him from about 27th in the NBA this is last I checked. It might, the numbers might be a little off, but it's pretty close. 27th in the NBA in three-point shooting, all the way up to 18th. That's because of Jalen Green, right? The Mikhail Bridges, people might go, well, ah, big deal. He's only shooting 37% or 36% this year. But if you put Mikhail Bridges on the roster and he's shooting threes instead of Jalen Green and he's shooting the same amount of threes, the Rockets are middle of the pack as a three-point team. And that's not even including Mikael Bridges is one of the better defenders and the difference between what Jalen Green gives you on defense and what Mikael Bridges gives you on defense. So just, I, I just want to point that out that Stone does get credit because he, he did address some of the three-point shooting. They have other issues. Some of those guys that he got, you know, Aaron Holiday, Reggie Bullock, not great defensively, obviously. Um, but those, those issues were a little bit addressed over the summer. I wish that he would address a little bit more and there would have been a real, a real sniper that you were really excited about that could, you know, play a little bit more than some of these guys, but still, that's something. Yeah, and I also think, like, for the major moves for this organization, right, like, the the biggest move the, this organization ever had to make that first season was trading James Harden, right? You had to nail that trade. They kind of did, right? Like, like, there are parts of that trade that haven't aged as well, right? The Old Depot part specifically, right? But if you had just taken Karis LeVert, that's maybe one or two extra first-round picks on, on top of what you got. Other than that, I mean... They've, they maximized the value of James Harden. You got Tari Easton. You got part of Cam Whitmore, right? Because you, you, you traded that you traded that Brooklyn pick along with Eric Gordon for the Cam Whitmore pick, right? And you still have all these picks coming forward. You're in a position to leverage a team like Brooklyn for their best player, right? You're in a position to trade for the one of the next stars that comes becomes available, right? Uh, whether that's Trey Young or Donovan Mitchell or whoever the hell, right? You have all these assets and you can use that to get yourself the player instead of going out and trading for um, Ben Simmons, which, you know, at the time was probably the only other serious offer that Houston was getting. So they made the right move there, blowing up the roster, right? The PJ Tucker trade, uh, instead of trading him for two second rounders, they did this creative thing with Milwaukee where they're like, we'll give you PJ Tucker, but you take your second round pick back and give us your first round pick. And they did that again. 
uh, when they traded Eric Gordon, where they're like, we don't want two second rounders back. You take this 30th pick and we'll take whatever your first round pick's going to be. And it ended up being 20. You jump up 10 spots in the draft. They nailed those major teardown trades. Obviously, I think some of the, the some of the cap, the contract dumps haven't been ideal, right? Like I, I think obviously the, specifically the Kevin Porter Jr. saga. Uh, I, I really didn't think that was the best asset management, but the Rockets seemed to really want to be a mid-level exception team this summer. So they felt like they felt a need to trade Kevin Porter Jr. and get something back that goes into next season as opposed to waiving him, whatever. We'll see what they end up doing with that mid-level exception. But when you look at the big picture, the 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 big items that I think I would dock, the Steven Silas hire, I think absolutely was a miss. The Jalen Green pick, absolutely was a miss. Holding on to Kevin Porter Jr. for too long, absolutely was a miss. I would say other than the Jalen Green draft pick, none of those moves had longstanding consequences, right? The Kevin Porter Jr. thing, I don't know if that's really going to hurt you, hurt Houston long-term. I, no, I, I suspect it won't. Uh, the uh, Steven Silas thing, again, like if anything, it, uh, him being such a terrible coach helped Houston get high draft picks, right? Like I don't know if Houston is, in, is really killed by any of those moves other than the Jalen Green pick. I think the Jalen Green one is going to really bite Houston. But if you're telling me there's one fatal wound in four years, I'm fine. I'll take yeah, it. I think the Porter and the Silas situations, not the front end of hiring or trading for them, but the back end, I think that's part of what concerns me the most about all this, Salman, is the fact that he was he was very slow to react and he was not identifying these guys as not just bad, but, you know, having issues well, you know Kevin, Silas, Kevin Porter Silas, wasn't bad. Silas, like, in, like, like for, for what he was as, as a human being right putting that aside as a player he wasn't bad he, I think he had faults well he, he was he, he wasn't helping you I disagree he wasn't he was bad in the locker room he on the court there were times where he just wasn't out there doing anything he was screwing around and, and well, he, he was their best three-point shooter last year by like a pretty wide margin and I would say probably their best guard by a pretty wide margin last well, year. Well, it, it's it's well. Number one, it's a it's a very low bar. Best guard on the Rockets last year. Number two, the best three point shooter, because all the guy seemed to care about was offense. You know, defense. You just saw him many times, just literally not try to get back in transition. You know, not not going after rebound. There was there were. I mean, you can find stuff on the internet of of Kevin Porter just literally not caring about stuff. And and what it, what it leaked over to is the rest of the team, and you know, just like. You're, you're trying to create a culture and Kevin Porter was terrible. And Steven Silas was also terrible for culture. And it's, it's not understanding how to identify what's going on. Like you, you can absolutely make mistakes. Look, Daryl Morey, I love what he did. Daryl Morey made mistakes, but he made more good things than mistakes. And when he made a mistake, he knew how to get out of it and he knew when to get out of it. And he was very reactive and proactive. And there are times where you just feel like, Rafael Stones isn't seeing what all the rest of us are seeing. Okay, so I'm glad you brought up Maury, right? Because you faulted him for this, Brooke Lopez. You've digged him a couple times for this, right? I mean, I remember not too long ago, 2011, 2010, I can't remember, I think 2012, actually. Chris Bosh gets to the finish line with Houston and then walks away. And then Houston is stuck with their pants around their ankles, having to trade a first-round pick to dump Jeremy Lin. In this situation, Houston only gave up three second round. I mean, not three second rounders, excuse me, like like five, five second rounders. They gave up a real first to dump Jeremy Lin and Omar Ashik, if I remember correctly. Even the best GMs make mistakes like that, right? Like even the best, G okay, let's say 
Ime Udoka was the head coach of this team last year. You're telling me Kevin Porter Jr. is not playing? Of course he's playing. He was one of the best players on the team. He, maybe he's not playing as much. Maybe he's not given the same leeway. Maybe he's playing better defensively. But this idea that Kevin Porter Jr. would not be a factor in what Houston was doing last year, I think that's just that's just revisionism. Well, it's also the accountability, and that goes back to Silas, right. which we you and I agree on that part that he shouldn't have been, Silas, you know, needed to go after the first two years. So right. yeah. And I I guess, you know, when it seemed like when Maury would make a mistake, and I forgot what all else he did that particular summer, but when Maury would make a mistake, it seemed like he, he typically would figure out a way to make something good happen at the next moment or make the next thing right and whatever. And I, I, yeah, I, I have no memory of that, of that uh, first round pick that he gave up after the, the Bosch thing. I, I remember the Asics thing and, it, you know, it wasn't a necessarily a good trade, but you know, I, you understood it from a, from some perspective, but I mean, it's just, I don't know. I just felt, I just felt like Daryl, you know, for every one miss mistake or screw up that he would have, it seemed like there was, four or five other things that he was, he was doing that were good. And I'm just well, not seeing the same ratio with Rafael Stone. I mean, I'm t- I'll tell you those four or five things. Cam Whitmore, Amen Thompson, Alperin Shangoon, and Tari Eason, right? Like, I'll tell you those four or five things, right? Like, it's they're right there on the roster, right? Like, I, I, I think if we're, if we're going to, we can't just not give them credit for that. That's not, that's not fair. And I was someone who was critical of Rafael like his first couple of years. Like, some of these moves on the margins, the Steven Silas thing, I, I wrote very critically about Rafael for some of the stuff, but you can't just not give him credit for credit to do. Like he made the Shangguan trade, right? Maybe he didn't always optimize him, but he made it. He made uh, the Tari Easton draft pick. Uh, he made the Cam Wilmore selection. He made the Amon Thompson selection. Like these are all guys that were taken on his watch. Some of these may have been, might have been the obvious call, maybe. But like I don't know, was Cam Wilmore not the obvious call at number five? And how many teams passed on him? Like I I I just think we're we're not we're we have to take the full picture. Right. That's why I, I keep on saying, look at where the team was organizationally when Rafael took the job and where it is now. Objectively, it's in a much better spot. I just think that I, I think they're fine. I, I, I think, listen, I wouldn't give him like the I wouldn't make him one of the highest paid executives in the NBA. I don't think he's showing enough to earn that. But I would give him a modest extension, something that's around league average. Uh, and I think I'm willing to get go like two more years with, with Rafael at the helm. I, I, I don't want to go take my chances with whoever Tillman decides to hire next. I like this. I think this is stable. I think this is a this is you know the Rockets are in decent hands right now. I don't want to I don't want to change my uh, the guy driving the ship right now. I think this is I think if, if I were Houston I would I would extend forward some sort of extension. I, I want to just give you one more thing. Speaking of Tari Eason, because this is a little bit of a concern for me, a red flag. What's going on with this Tari Eason situation? Because I think a lot of us are wondering. Have has the medical department for the Rockets mismanagement mismanaged this thing to the point where you lost Eason an entire season of this kid because you know they they brought him back a little bit too early from the injury and it's been real curious Salman if you've noticed it, it, it there's not a lot of information from the Rockets with this and you know I, I don't know why there's not a lot of information but it seems like we should have a, at least a little bit of an idea of what's going on and they seem to be keeping it all of it keeping all of it pretty secretive I don't, I don't know. This, this has always been the motto for this organization. I don't know why they're so secretive about injuries. Do you remember, like going back to the Dwight years where he had this weird back injury that second year with James, they would just not tell us when he was going to be back. It ended up being half the season, but the Rockets never said, oh, he's going to be reevaluated in such and such week. He's going to be, re- uh, he's going to receive surgery and then he'll be good to go. Like not, they never give us any sort of update on that back. They've always been this cagey. I don't know why they're this way, but they are. But as far as the Tari thing, 
there seem to be unique circumstances around it. Number one, he see, he got he hurt that thing in uh, he hurt that leg in preseason, right? I, I believe it's the same leg, the stress reaction. Yeah. Uh, number two, it seemed like he was being kind of dishonest, but by his pain level with the medical staff, and I don't know what medical staff in the NBA is going to be able to just read someone's mind like that, right? On what they're actually feeling. If if someone's just lying to you about the extent of their pain on an, on an injury, like I, well, I, well, what, I, what happened was he was saying, I, I guess from what I understood, and the story that I read was that. He told them, yeah, there's a little bit, but, right. you know, he felt like he could play through it. The medical staff was telling him, well, it can't, I guess it couldn't get any worse if he played on it. But then as he played on it more and more, then the pain level got more and more. And, you know, I, it's hard to know, but, I, you know, you wonder, like, what's going on? If this is a medical misdiagnosis or if this is, you know, something that they're just being extra careful on because they don't know why Tari is, is experiencing the pain as much as he is. It might be a little bit of both. Uh, it's tough to know, right? Like, like I would not put it past, stress reactions are a weird injury. Uh, there's never really like, the timetables are never exact. They're kind of like calf injuries in that way. And that w- the timetable you get back is always, always going to be wrong, whatever the team throws out in the press initial press release. But yeah, it's strange. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what's going on. It is concerning. If I were Houston, I would shut him down. To be to be honest, I it just there's it's not worth re-injuring it. It's it's not worth aggravating it. It's it's better to just get 100% Tari for next season. This season, it doesn't look like the Rockets are going to make the playoffs. Even if they make the play-in tournament, it's not worth rushing Tari Eason back. Uh, Agreed. He, I, I think uh, it may complicate some of uh, of Ime's, uh plans for the team. I think I really do believe had Tari Eason not gotten hurt, he'd be starting right now. Like th- we were on that trajectory. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree with that yeah. too. But you know, it is what it is, and now someone else may be starting. Uh, still, uh, so we're, we're just gonna have to see what the Rockets uh, put together. But this is this is kind of why it's nice to have Jayshon Tate, huh? I mean, to soak up a lot of those minutes that you're missing with Tari. I mean, well, uh, well, Tate right now is is you know, as you and I are speaking, they're just not using Tate much anymore. They're, you know, it's more the Cam Whitmore experience and. You know, obviously, Ahmed, although it's not the same position, but they got Ahmed playing just about everywhere. He's Every like a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate uh, to miss a year of Tari uh, with this strange injury, not really have any idea of what he looks like in year two. At the same time, it's not like a five alarm fire to miss Tari for the rest of the season, right? It, 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 it's just unfortunate. And I, I, I want him to be back. What, what sucks is there might be nobody on the Rockets team right now that affects winning more than Tari Eason. And and that would have made things much more exciting. And I, I don't know a Rocket fan that didn't love when Tari was out there playing. He is about as popular and well-liked among the fan base. His Q rating is through the roof. And the analytics show, the dude just makes winning plays. And, and the Rockets organization understands that too. They, they, they've got that down as well. No, I mean, he, Tari's awesome. Tari, Tari's awesome. I mean, he, he is possibly the best defender on this team. I mean, he 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 is really 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 good. If the Rockets were playing in a normal universe last year, it really felt like he was the best uh suited to start at power forward. Uh that's how good he was his rookie year. And did not 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 see him play uh this year. It sucks. I mean, even in summer league, I mean, the guy was a beast. Jabari Smith was a story, but Tarisa was not far behind him. Like he was he might have been like Jabari was the best player in summer league. Tarisa might have been number 2 or number 3. That's everybody everybody wanted to see like in the last couple of weeks, like, oh my God, what would it look like a fast break with Amen, Cam, and Tari all out in the open floor at the same time? And that lineup, having those three guys out there simultaneously. Um, I, I've taken way too much of your time, but I, before we go, when is that article that you've got working on with Stone, when's that coming out? When can people look for that? Tomorrow morning. 
And I, I'll give them a grade. Uh, so you guys can, I mean, obviously, uh, subscribe to RenéStoops.com, put your email in. And at the bottom of the article, the, the grade will be there. But yeah, I mean, listen, this was fun to, dis to, to discuss. I know there are a lot of disagreements. I know there's a lot of disappointment with a lot of decisions the Rockets have made. I'm not going to pretend like Rafael's been perfect. Uh, my grades are not going to reflect a perfect general manager, but it, it will reflect reflect a good general manager. And I think at this point, I'm fine with the Rockets just sticking with what they got. Like I, I, I don't see any grave reason to, to switch hands at this point. Okay. Well, I am scared, but I respect Salman. He knows his stuff and he made some great points. And his article, actually, we're recording this a day before it comes out, uh, before this uh, show comes out. So you should be able to go to his website and check out his piece. Of course, you know, if you can't find it, it's just go to at Salman Ali NBA. It's up on the screen if you're watching this on YouTube as well. It's always a pleasure, Salman. Thanks so much for doing this, man. For sure. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.